Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labour and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Honour thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbour's. And that took me one minute and thirty seconds to read. And I'm going to suggest this, that that one minute and 30 seconds was probably the longest in the history of the children of Israel. You've got thousands, maybe a million or two Jews standing all around the mount. God is speaking, not Moses. And by the time he finished speaking, in Hebrew of course, they must have thought to themselves, what in the world? What in the world have we signed up to? We had it pretty easy back in the land of Egypt. We were able to worship Ra, Isis, the river god. We saw Pharaoh sacrificing our sons to his river god and we had it pretty easy for a period of time and then one day almighty god raised up two brothers and of course a sister indirectly and out of that trio that trinity the children of israel were freed from the grip of pharaoh but again one more time these are commandments given to israel not the church nothing wrong whatsoever when it comes to reading the ten commandments and if you are a saved person checking yourself against the Ten Commandments to see if you are in fellowship with the Lord. But when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to practical theology, we don't get saved by keeping the commandments. We don't go to hell by not keeping the Ten Commandments. The thief on the cross never kept a commandment a day in his life, and yet he repented, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, went straight to heaven upon death. And many people don't like that. I've got a book on my bookshelf, and it lists 12 names of Japanese war criminals during World War II. And at least 12 of those Japanese terrorists that tortured and terrorized people from 1941 to 1945. 12 of those men responsible for the death directly and indirectly of maybe four or five, six or seven million people got saved. They turned to the Lord before they died, 1945, 1946. They got saved. And I got a list of German officers, SS officers, who were responsible for directly and indirectly 20 million people dying from 1939 up until 1945. And those SS officers, Nazis, Gestapo, Panzer Division, Rommel's men, Himmler's men, um, Hitler's men, of course, uh, Heydrich's men. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. All infamous murderers. Those guys got saved. Mm. 
But a lot of Christian people don't like that. A lot of church people don't like the idea of somebody as wicked or a group of people as wicked as German or Japanese war criminals getting saved. But they got saved. So therefore, when God is speaking to the Jews back in around, what, 1400 BC, and he's speaking from the Mount, I'm going to suggest one more time that those Ten Commandments, which took me one minute and around 30 seconds to read, must have felt like eternity. Must have been ricocheting all off of their ears. And look at verse 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. The fear of man bringeth a snare. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Perfect love casteth out fear. Fear hath torment. Fear is a natural thing, but in the Old Testament, after hearing Jehovah speaking for, let's say it took two minutes, let's really slow it down, and those ten commandments would have just, like I say, been bouncing off the walls, as they say. A lot of people are getting convicted. But go back to Exodus chapter 19. This was a voluntary covenant. Nobody was coerced into this covenant. The Jews were invited to enter into this covenant, whereas for the New Testament, the covenant is very different. Hebrews uh, chapter 10. I'm using a different Bible this morning, so just bear with me. Look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That's what this is all about. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. So for the Jews, initially they were fearful. Initially they were scared. Initially they wanted to just run for the hills, put their heads in the sand, as they say. And who can blame them? I mean, like I say, for a period of, what, 400 years, they lived pretty comfortably, in a sense, you understand, doing their own thing. And if you go back to the times of of, uh, Joshua, when the children of Israel were wandering for 40 years, tens of thousands, maybe a million or two, never circumcised, their sons were backsliding, and it fell to Joshua to recommence the Abrahamic covenant. So when the Lord spoke from heaven, it must have been an absolutely shocking, and yet at the same time in thrilling experience to hear the voice of the Lord. All the people saw the thunderings, lightnings, noise of a trumpet, noise of the trumpet, Come up hither, Revelation chapter 4, mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. So the Jews initially stood back, were in shock, were overcome with emotion. Some must have been enthralled, like I say, to hear the words of the Lord. And his words are very important. His words are sacred. Keep your hand then, go to Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6, after Second Chronicles, if you don't know your Old Testament very well. And I'm currently working my way through the Old Testament. And I hit Nehemiah uh, chapter 4, night before last. But I was reading Ezra three nights ago. I'll make that two nights ago. And I read a very interesting section from Ezra chapter 6, which in a sense mirrors Revelation 22, uh, the words of the Lord. And from Ezra chapter 6, you've got Darius speaking i won't say he was an unsaved man he may have been saved nebuchadnezzar may have been saved we don't know but darius and cyrus were two interesting characters from the old testament and from ezra chapter 6 listen to what a man says about his words listen to what a man says about his edict listen to what a man says about his ruling 
Ezra chapter 6, look at verse 8. Moreover, I make a decree what ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river. Forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. Where the words of a king is, there is power, and that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs, for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointments of the priests which are at Jerusalem. Let it be given them day by day without fail. Provide their every needs. Paul told you our God will supply all of our need. That they may offer sacrifices of sweet savours unto the God of heaven. This is a Gentile speaking. And pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Those that pray for the peace of Jerusalem shall prosper. Also I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word. Let Timah be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hanged thereon. String him up, literally, and let his house be made a dunghill for this. Very reminiscent to the words of Nebuchadnezzar from Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree, let it be done with speed. Go back to the book of Exodus. So you were told in Deuteronomy to be careful what you do with the words of the Lord. You were told from the book of Revelation to be careful what you do with the words of the Lord. You were told from Proverbs to be careful what you do with the words of the Lord. So three parts of the Bible, you are warned. Deuteronomy, Proverbs, Revelation, the consequences will be just horrendous. For anyone that would attempt to mess with the words of the Lord. And here Darius, possibly a saved Gentile. God certainly used him, anointed him. Is making the case very clearly that if you mess with his words, the consequences are going to be horrendous for you. Exodus chapter 20, look at verse 19. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. We are fearful, Moses, we know we are a sinful people. Simon Peter would say to Jesus Christ, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Isaiah would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah chapter 6, John chapter 12, I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah would also say all of our righteousness is, all of our righteousnesses is of filthy rags. There isn't a just man on the face of the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why callest thou me good? There isn't anyone who's good but God. Only one man was perfect, sinless, fearless. That, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak thou with us, intercede for us, verse 19, and we will hear. But, of course, down the line, they would stray. And if you think of uh, Deuteronomy 28, some of the words from the Lord are terrifying. They turn your blood cold. They terrify you. When the Lord speaks about the Jews in the last days who would depart from him, would break his covenants, do their own thing. And, of course, you look over history like what took place in the 1930s in Germany and Russia, millions of Jews just tortured to death for not worshipping God in spirit and in truth. Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But of course they would not hear. They had eyes to see, but could not see. They had ears to hear, but could not hear. When you enter into a covenant or a relationship or an agreement with a third party, you have to honour such a commitment. We call that terms and conditions, like cross the T dot the I, T's and C's, and here the Jews are wanting to say something, they are fearful, fear is an actual uh, component of people, whether they are saved or unsaved, but here they are speaking to Moses, 
Speak thou with us, speak on our behalf, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. It's a natural way to be, isn't it? I guess had we been present around 1400 BC, we've just come out of Egypt, and for the first time in our lives, we've heard the voice of God. The Jews walk by sight. We walk by faith. How would you feel? How would I feel? The natural thing that I would probably do would be to run away, to hide from the Lord. Look at verse 20. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not. That's what Jesus would say to the apostles. Fear not. For God is come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. Yes, that's partly true. God had come to prove them, and he will prove his children. He will prove us. He will test us. He will see what we are made of. He will put us to the mill. Also, Paul told you from 1 Corinthians 10 that you won't be proved, tried, tested, tempted above that which you can handle. Fear not, for God is come to prove you as a people. This is aimed at a nation. And that is fear, and I mean fear, not reverential fear, which the Schofield Reference Bible would have you believe. But I mean fear, like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You fear your parents. You fear your father as a young child. You should do. Something is wrong if you don't fear your father as a young child. Something is wrong if you don't fear your mother as a young child. Something is wrong if you talk back to your parents, if you back chat. Something is wrong if you argue and fight with your parents. And parts of the Old Testament covenant made it very clear that if you cussed or blasphemed or were disobedient towards your parents or parents, you were put to death. That's the severity of the Old Testament. That is fear may be before your eyes. I mean literal fear. Not just a reverential fear, because fear keeps you on the straight and narrow. It's good to fear, but not all of the time. Don't let fear cripple you, because fear causes people to become anxious. And if you are anxious for too long, you become depressed. And if you are depressed for too long, you stop eating. And if you stop eating, you lose weight, and you become weak and sick. And the next thing you know, you are bed-bound. That is, fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Go and sin no more. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ would say in the Gospels concerning two or three groups of people there's no reason to sin after you are saved but don't think you're going to go to heaven by keeping the ten commandments that's a works-based concept and it's false through and through 21 and the people stood afar off and moses drew near unto the thick darkness where god was and the people stood afar off and moses drew near unto the thick darkness where god was go to ephesians chapter 2 God is omnipresent. God is not the author of sin. We are uh, tempted. We are enticed to sin when we depart from the Lord and start doing our own thing. Uh, but of course the Lord will use sometimes unsaved people, wicked spirits to buffer his wayward children. When I was reading over in, I think it was First Chronicles a few nights ago, of an occasion when Ahab was up to no good and the Lord was having a meeting in heaven and a group of angels were summoned to the throne of the Lord. And he said, who's going to entice Ahab, so on and so forth. And an unclean spirit came forth and said to the Lord, I will entice him. I will do this, I will do that. And it says how a lying spirit was able to deceive Ahab. Because Ahab was no good. Ephesians chapter 2. And of course, you know during the tribulation that almighty God is going to send strong delusion. Going to pour out. Strong delusion on those that refuse to believe the truth, being Jesus Christ. Contrast that to Joel chapter 2, where it says how he will pour out of his spirits in those days on young men, young women. They'll see visions, they'll dream dreams, so on and so forth. 
Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That is wonderful to read. Those Japanese terrorists that repented were saved. Those German terrorists that repented were saved. And there have been several high-profile criminals, murderers, rapists, paedophiles over the past 20 years that repented at the 11th hour and got saved. No works involved. No keeping the Ten Commandments, no tithing, no going to church, no baptisms, no circumcision, so on and so forth. But now, in Christ Jesus, we are in him, he is in us. Ye who sometimes were far off in reference to the Gentiles, which before the New Testament had no hope. They were in the world physically, but spiritually they were dead in utter darkness in a spiritual sense. Are made nigh, are brought near by the blood of Christ. Go back to the book of Exodus. So the contrasts, the delineations between the Old and the New Testament are far too many to really attempt to explain this morning. But the differences are monumental. For the Old Testament, they got saved uh, by believing on a promise. That's faith, of course. We get saved by believing on the one who gave the promise. That's faith, of course. For the Old Testament, they had to walk a particular way, like Ten Commandments. For New Testament, we walk in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8. If we don't walk in the Spirit... Romans chapter 8, we go back under the law. James chapter 1, James chapter 2, we become transgressors. That's what 1 John is all about. And that's what 2 John and 3 John is all about. So when we stop walking, when we stop fellowshipping with the Lord, we become transgressors. We fall from grace in a sense, Galatians chapter 5, but we're still saved. For the Old Testament, for the Jews that got saved by believing, by believing the just shall live by faith, by believing on a promise, they had to walk a particular way. And of course, it's very different back in the Old Testament. They had to watch what they ate. They had to dress a particular way. They had to behave a particular way. They couldn't marry outside of their tribes. And yet for today, we can marry anyone. A white man could marry a black woman. A black woman could marry a white man. An Oriental person could marry a Caucasian, so on and so forth. But for the Old Testament, Jews weren't allowed to marry Gentiles. A huge shift has taken place for today. You can eat whatever you want. Whatever you want. Paul tells you to give thanks to the Lord before you eat it. But for the Old Testament, if you ate pork, for example, you were just anathema. You were thrown out of the camp. Look at verse uh, 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Children of Israel, not the church. Jews, not Gentiles. I wish people could get this. Most Christians, most church leaders, not always intentionally, will start off very well. They will preach the gospel. They may explain the gospel of the grace of God. And then what normally happens is they start to backload the gospel. They start to say, what church do you go to? Have you been baptized? Do you speak in tongues? Do you tithe? Who are you accountable to? Etc, etc, etc. Do you keep the Ten Commandments? Is that your wife you're living with? Is that your husband you're living with? Do you do this? Do you do that? They start to backload the gospel. And within five minutes, you feel like you're not saved. And they talk you out of your salvation many times because most Christians have a weak conscience. And yet those people, many times, were nowhere to be found before you got saved. But once you got saved, they're out to recruit you, not to evangelize you. And if you don't believe me, just look at your own life, your own environment, and ask yourself this. Where were those churches before you got saved? Let's say you didn't get saved until you were in your 30s or 40s or 50s. Where were those churches before you got saved? You were at the bus stop, you were at the post office, you were in the supermarket. 
Do those good old church people come up to you and say, may I give you a tract, sir? May I give you a tract, madam? I bet they didn't. But once you got saved and you started to go church shopping, which many people do, all of a sudden they can't get enough of you. Sister, when were you saved? Brother, when were you saved? Do you call Jesus Yeshua? Do you call God Adonai? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you keep the Torah? Do you keep the Sabbath? And all of a sudden, those people are all over you like a rash. People sort of far off, 21 again. Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Christ dies for our sins. He goes into the ground. He takes a thief on a cross with him. He conquers death. He makes a spoil over the principalities and powers, fallen angels, demons and devils. He goes up to the holiest, the holy of holies. And Hebrews chapter 9 says, through his eternal spirit, through the eternal spirit, he presents his blood. I don't really understand that, but that's what took place. And here Moses is interceding for the children of Israel. Thick darkness, if you want a picture of everlasting hell. And yet Father Abraham was in the bosom of the Father. Luke chapter 16 was interceding in a sense. 22, the Lord said unto Moses, the Lord, Jehovah said unto Moses, thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel. He's still speaking on their behalf. Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. They walk by sight, we walk by faith. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold, idols. That's what destroyed Israel. That's what crippled Israel. They saw the Egyptians with their idols. They would see the Babylonians, the Assyrians with their idols. First John chapter 5, John writes to the church and he says, Children, beware of idols. Watch out for idols. It is possible for Christians to get caught up with idolatry, the main sin in scripture. And here the warning will be repeated time after time after time after time after time after time. 24. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thine oxen. We present our bodies to the Lord God. We abstain from all appearances of sin. And sometimes we have to fast. Sometimes we have to do this or that to draw closer to the Lord, to get our prayers answered. And here you've got peace offerings, burnt offerings, sheep, oxen to be presented on the parts of the people of Israel until the eventual Lamb arrives, the Lamb of God. In all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. I'll bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. We are pre-millennial, we are pro-Israel. We understand that the Jews have a place in the hearts of the Lord. There will always be people of the Lord, historically speaking. But of course, those Jews have to believe in Jesus to be saved. There's no two ways of being saved. There's no dual covenant with some of our charismatic friends like to preach and teach. 25, and if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy toil upon it, thou hast polluted it. Leave it as it is. You build an altar of stone, 25, leave it as it is. Don't get your tools out and start messing around with it. Don't add to grace. Don't backload the gospel. Don't start to cripple people with lordship salvation. Calvinists do this, so too do the Armenians. It's almost never heard or seen, I mean as far as I'm concerned, I almost never come across people who understand the gospel of the grace of God, the good news of the gospel of the grace of God, like faith in Christ alone. Very few people really understand it, and here the Jews are being told not to mess around with the altar, leave it as it is, that's why Abel was received 
he brought a lamb to the Lord, whereas Cain did not. You've got two groups of people, really, basically. You've got two groups of people. The first group is someone like Abel, a good man, who brings his livestock to the Lord. And you've got Cain, who brings his second best to the Lord. He brings fruit to the Lord. You've got somebody who preaches the gospel of the grace of God and someone who does not. You've got someone who focuses on the blood of Christ, Hebrews chapter 10, Ephesians chapter 2. Contrast that to somebody who focuses on, on, who focuses on the works of oneself. And as, as a result of that, thou hast polluted it. You've destroyed it. You've nullified it. Going back to the Catholics and the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, and probably 95% of Protestant Christendom, they pollute the gospel of the grace of God. They mess around with it. Just preach it, leave it as it is. Focus on the blood of Christ. 26 in our clothes. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. Of course, back in the Old Testament times, men wore skirts to some extent. The whole purpose of this was to be modest, obviously. You've got guys climbing up into the altar and they're wearing too short a skirt. It's going to cause problems, of course. But again, in type this is also in reference to adding to the gospel the grace of god adding to the words of god adding or subtracting from the words of god revelation 22 and also ezra chapter 6 had you added or subtracted from the words of ezra he would destroy you and the same would be true of nebuchadnezzar in the tribulation if you add or take from the words of the antichrist he will destroy you in the tribulation if you don't take the mark of the beast if you don't do it his way he will destroy you and that's why most of the world are going to take the mark of the beast throughout the tribulation to stay in line with him. That's why most people did what Nebuchadnezzar told them to do back in Daniel. And that's why most people didn't mess around with the words of Ezra from Ezra chapter 6. So this will be the 17th and the final week. It's been quite a ride over the last 17 weeks working our way through the Ten Commandments. The most famous parts of the Old Testament. We've looked at the famous, we've looked at the infamous. We've tried to explain and harmonize the difference between the Old Testament and the New, and how the Jews were expected to keep the Ten Commandments to stay on track with the Lord, whereas Christians can observe, in a spiritual sense, the Ten Commandments. They can look at the Ten Commandments. They can examine themselves when they look at the Ten Commandments, but we don't get saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. We don't go to hell for not keeping the Ten Commandments. You may look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, James, I've never broken those in a literal sense, but I guarantee you, you've broken those in a spiritual sense. Going back to murder, being hatred, lust, being adultery, coveting, wanting this and wanting that, lusting after someone or something. You can't get around this book. This book is against you. This book is against you, but if you turn to the one who wrote the book, such a person is for you, and that person will keep you on the straight and narrow and close to him. But if you depart from him, he will depart from you, and he will send your sorts of trials and tribulations. But I'll say it one final time. At the very most, it took two minutes for the Lord to speak the Ten Commandments that would have been heard. It would have been heard by probably two or three, five, perhaps six million Jews. And it must have shook them to their foundation. And of course, Jehovah was speaking in Hebrew, speaking in Hebrew. Only the Hebrews could hear it and understand it. Going back to Isis, ears to hear. And of course, their first reaction was, run draw away from the lord whereas paul says draw near to the lord come now let us reason together saith the lord that your sins be red like crimson i'll make them white as wool and also the lord jesus christ would say come now 
take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, so on and so forth. And that's the wonderful uh, truth when it comes to the law condemning you, but grace saving you. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ.